Welcome to Girl Power Pod, the podcast to inspire and motivate women to feel empowered to pursue their dreams. Grace Stratton is a passionate young woman who's on a mission to make the world more equal. And in this episode, we talked about her amazing project, All Is For All, diversity, inclusion, and accessibility, and how you need to take action to make an impact. much for doing this no worries of course um could you just start with telling me about who you are and your background yeah so um my name is grace i am from auckland i was born at national women's hospital i have well everybody's got two parents but my parents are still together we live in Walworth. um They've been married 30 years. Uh, I'm just a pretty average young woman. I'm 19, turning 20 in a couple of months, which is exciting. Um, but a lot of people think I'm older than that, and I think that's just because of what I do and how I carry myself, I suppose. Um, yeah, um, I don't know. I'm just real average. I'm just really average. <laughs> I don't, like, my background is pretty average. I mean, th- like, the... Oh, most obvious thing about me that's a bit different is I use a wheelchair, so I've uh, I've always used one. Well, um, I was born, so I was born ten weeks early, um, and during the pregnancy, um, my mum bled twice, so the bleeding obviously resulted in a lack of oxygen for a time, and then there are there are a few other things about the pregnancy, like the placenta was in a. Um, in a different place than how it was lying across the womb. Um, so all of those things kind of resulted in um, me, the baby, not getting optimum nutrients, and those things are just um, nobody's fault. They're just uh, the result of nature. Um, so what that meant for me was I was born early and I had an initial MRI, um, and this was in the late 90s so technology's come a lot further but as a result of those scans that I had they were like oh she's fine and she's going to be you know there's no damage that we can see to her brain um so I spent 10 weeks in um a baby incubator I obviously don't remember it <laughs> but I but I came home and um you know they were like oh she's gonna be fine I came home and then I just wasn't hitting my physical milestone so I wasn't sitting up by myself or rolling like a baby should and my mum always tells the story that um you know most babies they are moving around all the time especially when they're getting close to being a year old they're like you know wanting to explore and move around and I was just content just to sit and so my mum was like oh I wonder what's wrong you know I wonder if something's is something's not right so when I turned a year old I was diagnosed um, with cerebral palsy and um, a pediatrician diagnosed me and then lo and behold I 
Um, you can't actually get a wheelchair. I think it might have changed, but you can't actually get a wheelchair until you're five or you used to not be able to get a wheelchair until you're five. So until I was five, I would be like lifted or carried or put in a buggy um, and I could walk a, and I can still walk a little tiny bit and I used to walk a lot more when I was younger. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that's kind of, I suppose, the catalyst for all of my work and like what I do now is because I use a wheelchair because of that experience. And I think like um, the way I look on my disability, which I suppose some people would find a bit odd, is like I really love those parts about myself because if I wasn't in a wheelchair and I didn't use one and I wasn't disabled, I would have a really average life. Like, like, uh, I really would. Like, because I'm from like a, a normal house. Um, I have loving parents. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm white. Like, I wouldn't have, ex- I wouldn't have experienced any form. Or while I'm speaking, I'm speaking hypothetically. Yeah. But if all of those normal things were just normal, I, I wouldn't have experienced the adversities that have shaped me to become who I am and so I would just be real average and so that's why I look on my disability as something really positive because I'm like oh that's actually given me this ability to look on life in a completely different way and so if I wasn't disabled all of my thought patterns and how I process and how I solve problems and do work those things would all change and all just be normal and average and probably not as good as they are um you know that's awesome that's a great way to look at it yeah well I think some people think that it's I think some people think that it's a bit weird because the overarching and the the narrative that we still have in this country and probably worldwide is that disability is something to change um people don't look well I think it is getting better gradually but for the most part people don't look at at disability as um, you know a positive difference they do see it as something that needs to be changed or something that that isn't desired and I think that is because to a point nobody really plans nobody you know like when my parents were um, you know when I was conceived and when my mum was pregnant they probably you know nobody thought oh what if this baby is disabled because that's not something that you think or consider Um, but actually you know a baby being born that is different in some way that doesn't it's not a bad thing but it's just not something that's part of the normal narrative when you get pregnant Mm. yeah exactly so what do you do for work Cool. So I, I do a couple of different things. So I, um, I study law and communications at AUT. So I'm a student. Yeah. I'm in my second year of that. Um, but my work outside of that, I run a thing, or I conceptualized and um, created a platform. Um, called All Is For All, and I work on that alongside someone, um, alongside Sweeney Vesti, which is a communications agency, and Angela Bevan, um, who is uh, basically, she's been in fashion since forever, and she just loves fashion and knows all about it. And so what All Is For All is, is basically a um, global movement, or we are aiming for it to be global. At the moment, it's kind of just... New Zealand and Australia. Um, But what that does is it presents fashion in an accessible way to um, 
the audience people that have access needs. So what that looks like is, for example, um, if you place yourself in the shoes of somebody who is blind or low vision, 90% um, of people that are blind, they actually do have some sort of remaining vision. Um, but it's just not obviously full vision. So a lot of people that are blind or low vision, they use screen readers to um, audibly read out what is on your screen. So that includes images. Um, but a lot of websites, they don't use alt text, which is what the blind rely on to read. So for blind people who are shopping online, they, they do so without understanding any of the images that, you're, that you or I would see when mm -hmm. we were shopping online. So what that means for them is they often need to ask a friend or ask a person who is sighted, often a family member, to explain an item of clothing. So that might seem minor, you know, just to sit with someone and to explain a garment. But on a wider level and on a deeper level, you know, that person doesn't have full agency and control over their experience. So their, their sense of expression that one gets through fashion is altered by someone else's opinion. Because, for example, I might be blind or low vision and I might love sequins, but the person explaining the garment to me might hate sequins and might be like, oh, you wouldn't like that, that doesn't suit you. So in actuality, that person might love that garment, but they're not able to discern that for themselves. So what our site does, in part, is full in-depth um, text explanations of photos. So every single one of our photos is first and foremost a great image, but then underneath that image is a whole lot of text that will explain to screen reader uh, users yeah. exactly what's in the image. So it will say, this is a pink, um, you know, it will explain what the garment is, and then it will also like explain the model and explain like the angle that she's sitting or whether or not she's in a wheelchair, so they can they can understand the image just as much as a sighted person would. And so the goal with that is to make them feel like their experience is supported. So we do lots of things like that. So we'll not only do the text for the images, but we'll also talk about like how suitable a garment would be for a wheelchair user, what the, clo what the closures are like, if they're easy to open or hard, because um, all of that will inform whether or not somebody who is in a wheelchair can use a garment. Mm. Um, and then things like the texture of a garment, if it's like feathery or fluffy, or all of those things will inform the decisions of people that might be sensory, um, might have sensory needs or might be autistic. So we basically look at the same garment and just um, consider it from a consumer's point of view with various access needs. Our goal isn't to change the garment because my belief is that a disabled person should have access to the same things as everybody else. But we curate our website so that the most accessible garments are available. So we're not going to sell you like a skin-tight leather yeah. <laughs> bodysuit or something because that's probably not going to work for people that are disabled. And arguably it doesn't really work for people that aren't disabled, but yeah, we still buy them. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what we do. And um, our wider goal and mission is to work on creative projects and to work um, use fashion as a vessel to kind of uh, 
get out the message of social change and the need for, um, you know, employment rates to increase among disabled people. And because I believe that fashion is a tool for self-agency and self-expression. So if people are confident in what they're wearing, they're more able to navigate the world confidently. And when you give people power over who they are through how they dress, um, the, the actions that they undertake on a given day will be influenced for the better. Mm, totally. Oh, that's cool. That's that's very impressive and it's a great project. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's going very well. So part of our part of our um, so we do the website and then part of the uh, business. You know, the business kind of has lots of different arms to it, which I'm sure we'll get into, but one of the other things that I'm real proud of is that the business has an agency attached to it. So um, Angela, who is my business partner and one of my really good friends, um, she's run two agencies in her lifetime, so she's much more um, able to do it than I am I'm just here with like all the ideas like yes let's do it <laughs> but, um, but she's run two agencies in the past um, one was called the others and so that agency was committed to um, diversity and committed to um, you know having women and men involved that probably weren't characteristically or typically considered models mm-hmm. but um, they did very well and were very successful and one of the commitments that the others made was to not take the measurements of their models and not make those measurements known um, because you know uh, it, when you're modeling um, those arguably for some things they are important but it's a, for a model it's about more than just you know the size of the person it's about you know it's about their character and about how they carry themselves in the clothes so um, when I came up with the idea of starting an agency um, attached to the business she was all for it so we have, I think at the moment we only have like four or five people that are signed to the agency, but they've all got, um, they're all diverse in some way. So one of our models has just landed, uh, um, she's in a wheelchair and she has just landed a like page or like a photo or whatever in um, Fashion Quarterly, which is one of New Zealand's biggest magazines. Oh, wow. So that's really... And that, that's through your... That's through yeah. them seeing her through us and yeah. saying like, oh, she's actually got a really great face. And yeah. we were like, yeah, she does have a really great face. <laughs> <laughs> like, you don't say, I know. <laughs> I'm glad you've picked up on that. So um, for us, that really signifies movement and, what, and that what we're doing is actually influencing people mm. to be able to cast. Because one of the biggest obstacles, I think, uh, for any kind of diversity is that people do want to support and they want to hire people, um, but it's accessing those people and finding those people um, to be able to hire um, to be able to hire them and use them. So one of the excuses for people not to hire disabled models is that they can't find them. You know, they would have yeah. to they would have to spend yeah. they would have to spend time looking. And so now that's not an excuse anymore because we're finding these people and we're making them available. Mm-hmm. So you know, if anyone did come to me and say, oh, you know, I just can't find disabled models to hire, that's why. I'd be like, well, they're right here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> here you go. <laughs> yeah, back here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we're just eliminating the amount of excuses that people have. That's what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it's really great. So how does a normal um, day look for you? A normal day would be like a day at uni. Um for me, I try and be as independent as possible, but 
There, I'm not very good under time constraints. Um, one of the things about my disability is I fatigue quite easily, so I get tired. I manage it really well um, with the help of my parents, but what that means is like, um, I'll need help in the morning getting dressed, so I'll get up. Someone will help me get dressed if it's under a time constraint because of university. Then I will do all the normal things that anyone else does. And for the most part, I do them independently. But there'll be some things that I'll like call upon someone for, either because they actually need help or just because I'm lazy. <laughs> um, you know, the two things are interchangeable. Um, yeah, uh, then I will bus to university um, or Uber to whatever meeting I'm going to. I live out in Watworth, so usually I'll have to bus first and then Uber if I'm going to a meeting. I'll go to university for the day, go to my classes. I basically like on a normal day, just navigate the world f from a wheelchair in the same way that, any that anybody else would. Um, but the obstacles that I encounter are the result of poor, des of poor design. You know, like um, one of the examples you might give is, you know, if I was walking along and I needed to get cash out, I couldn't go to an ATM because I can't reach the <laughs> buttons. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, um, yeah. or like if I was meeting somebody at a cafe, I almost never look before. I probably should, but I think it's the principle of the thing that I just expect to be able to get in there, which is probably a little bit arrogant, but I'm like, <laughs> well, anybody else would just be able to walk in there, so why should I have to do research before? Um, you know, so all of the obstacles that I would encounter because of my disability are just design. They're not actually me not being able to do it. Um, yeah, but classes are normal. I mean, I chose AUT because it was accessible. There's no way I could go to Auckland Uni. It's just impossible. Um, but AUT is better anyway, so it's fine. Uh, um, yeah, um, yeah. so a normal day, that's pretty much a normal day. I just navigate the space, but from a wheelchair. So, yeah. So what gets you up in the morning? Well, I, well, I hate the mornings. <laughs> like, like from a, like a, I'm not a morning person. And I drag you here really early. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. I, I see, I don't mind for things like this, but like, I'm just, I think it's because I live so far away. Yeah, So yeah, for totally. everything, I have to get up so much earlier. <laughs> I'm just really looking forward to the day that I can move in, which will hopefully be soon. Um, what gets me up in the morning? Uh, lots of things. I really love the work that um, I get to do. I by no means do it alone, but I love, um, yeah, I really love. And I also like university. I really like the law, um, even though at times it's very boring. <laughs> I, I like um, learning about it, and I like knowing about how the world works in terms of, you know, if you have an understanding of the law, you kind of have an understanding of society. Um, and so that really motivates me. I like the concept of making things better for people and, and you know, our work that we're doing now, it will mean that in 10 years or in 15 years, young people growing up in the same situation I'm in won't need to go through the same barriers that I did. They'll have different barriers because every generation will have its own unique experiences or every person will have their own barriers to face. But those fundamental issues of equity and those fundamental 
social issues of access, um, the work that we're doing now alongside other people that are working in the same space, um, the, it will mean that those barriers are null and void. And so that's what motivates me. And I suppose that's kind of what gets me through like when I encounter something that is a barrier or something that is um, not accessible, uh, instead of getting angry, well, I do get angry, but instead of getting real angry about it, I look at it as, okay, the next time I have a meeting with you know the people that I work with, I'll mention this and how we can make this better and then we'll add that to our plans going forward. So I, that's kind of what motivates me is like, that I, I can't change my disability, but I can change design and I can help change attitudes. And those things are kind of more powerful because me trying to walk or me trying to be normal um, is kind of less impactful for the rest of the world. Like one person, you know, little old me trying to fit in doesn't really help anybody, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's great to use your experience because you're actually, you're an expert in your area. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm an expert in my own life, but I'm always, I think that's one thing too. It's like um, uh, as disabled people in New Zealand, you know, there are, don't get me wrong, there are lots of, there are lots of barriers here as there are in every country. But we do need to recognise our privilege to grow up here and to live here because, um, you know, if I was disabled in Mexico or disabled um, in in a country that was developing, without a social welfare system and without a health system that supported me, um, my experience with disability would be a lot more, um, it would be a lot different. So... You know, I think that's part of it too. It's like I'm motivated to get up in the morning because I understand and I know that even though I might have a day that's filled with a little bit of an issue, it's not really an issue compared to those issues that might be out there for somebody else. But it takes a long time to get to that mindset. You know, like people that are newly injured, that experience is like very different to mine um, and it takes a long time to, to get to where I am and that's because I've been this way for like two decades almost yeah. so you've got to put it into perspective it's yeah. not everybody's not happy it doesn't happen overnight no, but I think that's like with everything you know yeah, like when exactly. you're a teenager you're not loving yourself and the oh, body you're sure. in oh you for know? sure and then now it's like you know when I was a teenager I like how I thought when I was younger when I was a teenager or when I was in high school is totally different to how I think now and that's only a couple of years ago yeah. so it'll keep going and it'll yeah. keep moving and that's exciting and yeah. that's good you know and that will inform my work going forwards as well very cool um so um how come you pick fashion to get awareness around disability um well first and foremost i love fashion i think fashion is so cool um, <laughs> so i just picked what i like and I, I just picked what i liked and i was like everybody else you don't get to say no that's not true <laughs> um why did i pick fashion so i picked fashion for a few reasons first and foremost um every uh, there are three things that people... Someone told me, an investor guy, who um, at this particular meeting, he wasn't that lovely. He's, he's gotten better. <laughs> um, but he said to me that people buy three things. They buy clothes, they need to buy a house, and they need like uh, to like buy a car and things to go to work. And so he was like, you know, clothing is really impactful to every single human, whether or not they buy fashion or not. 
So first and foremost, that's kind of why it's important to pick because it, it is something that everybody has to go, you know, everybody has to get dressed. So it's universal. Um, secondary is that fashion has a lot of power. You know, you think about, um, you know, there's always been that discussion about how advertising is harmful and how it's, like, informed people's perception of themselves to be negative um, and it's influenced body image. So, you know, fashion is directly linked to advertising. So I figured that, you know, if you can take something that's been kind of, like, a little bit of a bad influence and flip it on its head and make it positive, then that will um, get people's attention. And thirdly, it's just that fashion has an impact. So, you know, um, uh, an example being, you know, um, you know, Kanye West with Yeezy. You know, uh, you know, Yeezys have become a culture in themselves that, you know, whether or not you love it or you hate it, you have seen it and you know about it. And so that needs to be the same thing about accessibility. You know, whether or not you have an opinion about whether or not the world should be accessible or not, you still know about it and you still understand the fundamentals and you know that it's cool and relevant. Um, so fashion could achieve that. Also, I think, like, disability and accessibility has never been, like, sexy as a topic. It's never been appealing. Um, and fashion can achieve that, and we can make it cool. And if you can make it cool, then people will listen. So we, we chose fashion for a whole bunch of reasons. Also, with our projects, we're kind of targeting, like, a millennial market, like a younger yeah. a younger person. So that cares quite a lot of how they look. Yes, and, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I think... Um, some people might think that, you know, there are mixed opinions about whether or not caring about how you look is a good thing. Some people might think that it's, um, for lack of a better word, shallow. I think I think that whole argument is kind of silly. Yeah, I mean, some days you can feel shit and then you put on a nice clothes exactly. and a nice dress and you'll be like, oh, great, I feel so much yes, better. Yeah, 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 yeah. and it has real power over... Yeah. I think for disabled people too, it's like... Um, yeah, like, I mean, I can't put myself in somebody's head, but I imagine when somebody meets me for the first time, the first thing that they take in is that I'm in a wheelchair. Um, and then, you know, I can't change that, but I can change what might be the second and third thing they get into the head. And so for me, I want that to be, oh, look, she's wearing a cool top, or, oh, look, at a, you know, sneakers that she's wearing. And then that, that can inform the discussion, and people can ask you, oh, you know, where did you get that top? And I can say that I got it from a second-hand shop. And so the discussion actually doesn't become about my wheelchair. Yeah. Whereas if I'm not dressed well, I feel like they kind of are like, oh, she's disabled, and she's just given up on how she looks. So... You, you know, you might not be able to change people's first thought, but you can kind of influence where the discussion goes from there. Yeah. And, um, yeah, disabled people deserve to have power over themselves and deserve to feel... Um, deserve to feel like they have control. And so a lot of the time it can feel like, you know, I don't have complete control over my body because I need help, um, but I can choose how I dress it. And so, and so that choice is really fundamental to confidence. Yeah. 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 So you are incredible um, in everything you do with the no, voice I don't know about It's that. really, really cool. Um, and it's a great initiative that you've been starting. But how, um, so how do you use your passion in challenging stereotypes on like a daily basis and bring diversity to the light of fashion? 
Yeah, so I think, um, so I don't know, because I don't really know what the difference is between like a stereotype and like a misconception. I imagine like a stereotype is kind of people thinking that like a certain set of attributes is associated with one kind of person. Yeah. And that in itself is a misconception. Um, and so the thing about the ter- the thing about disability is that it's so wide. Like my experience, <clears throat> I have the exact same diagnosis as a friend of mine, and yet our experiences are vastly different because he's older, and he was raised in a different generation, and you know he's male, not female. So our even though. Um, the world might consider us the same because we're both in wheelchairs. Yeah. Everybody's experience is so different. So in that way, it is hard to unify everybody. And um, so for me, um, when I'm lucky enough to be able to talk to people like you and to be able to have a platform. So in that sense, when I do have discussions, um, it's less about you know tackling stereotypes and more about reiterating the idea that actually everybody's experience is very different. But we can be unified by the fact that for whatever reason we can't access certain aspects of society. Um, I used to think that like, I used to, <laughs> I used to have a, um, I still kind of do to a point, I used to think that in order to succeed, I had to kind of like hide my disability to as much as I could. You know, like for example, I used to work at an advertising agency and, um, and you know, we'd go to meetings and I used to think, oh, I, you know, because you don't really say to someone, oh, by the way, I'm in a wheelchair. But you used to go to meetings and then you would think, oh, I wonder if they now think that I'm um, like less capable or whatever. Um, so, but I've kind of processed that now, and I've realised that you know, if I'm proud of being disabled and I and I carry myself confidently wherever I go, that will inform people's understanding of disability. Because I think a lot of people think perhaps that disability is a limitation. So if by simply carrying myself confidently, if I can change that for people, then I think that will help to tackle a lot of the stereotypes that exist around disability. Mm-hmm. Another way that I suppose in our daily work and in our daily lives we tackle stereotypes is by telling other people's stories. So, you know, our models that we have, their stories are all diverse. And so by putting them out there and putting them on social and whatever, um, uh, we're able to kind of let people know about all these different experiences and then that might inform the way that they go about their lives. Or even saying online, you know, things as simple as, by the way, unless somebody asks for help, you know, you probably shouldn't help them unless they say so. You know, you don't you just... Because I'll, I'll be on the street sometimes and people will well-meaningly come up behind me and just push me and, and like, without asking me and without me consenting. And, you know, people think that they're doing something nice by doing that, but it's kind of like, well, if you compare it to the able-bodied equivalent, if you were walking and somebody just came up behind you and pushed you, you you'd be like, what the hell is happening? Yeah. So for us it, on our daily, it's like just putting out those really basic fundamental understandings to an able-bodied audience and saying, like, look, you probably need 
need to know about this and this. And so I think that helps tackle stereotypes. Yeah. Also just making cool images, you know, like our girls look just as good as any other young woman um, in fashion images. And so that in itself, you know, the girls aren't special. They're not like special in the sense of being separate. They're as capable as anybody else. So yeah, creating images and just existing really, and just being confident. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just existing. Yeah, just be a yeah. good, just be a good um, person to kind of look up to as well. I guess like you really showing, you know, the way for people and how. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, people did. A lot of people did. Well, I say a lot of people. A few people did that for me too when I was growing up. Like I remember. Um, I met when I was in primary school a lawyer who had cerebral palsy and she had it in a different way to me but she had it nonetheless and she was kind of the first disabled person that I had met that had like a high functioning career um, high functioning in the sense of you know like a corporate career and so at the time I kind of like dismissed meeting her and was like, oh, that was cool to meet her. But now looking back on it, I'm like, oh, that probably actually really influenced the way that I thought about your career and going future, forwards. Yeah. yeah. And at the time you meet people and you probably don't think about it, but then when the time comes for you to choose a path, those people do influence how you can move forward, which is why it's really important that people have role models that look like them. Yeah. Because even if they don't directly act as a role model, they are influencing, you know, people's decision-making and people's self-inner dialogue. Yeah. What's the unemployment rate um, for disabled people? So the employment rate is 22.3% for people with disabilities compared to an employment rate in the 70s for able-bodied people. So that, I'm very bad at math, (laughs) but (laughs) I believe that makes a gap of around 40%. There's around a 40% gap because 20% of 22% of people with disabilities are employed, and 70% of able-bodied people are. So 70 minus 20 is. Don't ask me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So so the employment rate, the employment gap is around 50%. Somebody who's good at math is going to be like, oh my god. What are those girls doing? Yeah. But the employment rate is around 22.3%, and the earnings job to job. are less. So typically a disabled person will be in a job that earns less on average than an able-bodied person's average job. Um, so, you know, uh, but I think it's, it's, it's a flow-down effect. So our work and what we're doing will hopefully flow down and influence people that are making decisions. Because pe- disabled people um, are, are very rarely at that level of um, senior leadership because it's hard for them to get in the door in the first place. So you can't change what you can't see. And if you've never experienced a disabled person, then how are you going to um, be influenced to hire them? The same way that, you know, female females got um, something around the lines of 2% of all VC funding last year. Well, the reason for that is because people making decisions about where the money goes are still largely male. Um, that's changing with people like Whitney Wolf Heard from Bumble, who's created her own fund, and even people like uh, Dalwyn, who runs the Women's Fund, that's all changing. But, you know, it all comes back to people making decisions. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, I love that. What you can't see, you can't be. It's so true. And mm, I think that's yeah. when you're really showing the way as well with um, the project that you're running and just, you know, um, all this for all is such a good example on that. Mm, yeah, and I think once people know, like I live by the philosophy that most people actually don't intend to be dicks, yeah. like because they're just acting off of ignorance or acting how they think they should, and then once you show them a different way, most people are like, yeah. oh, that's actually cool, and then the people that aren't, you're just like, okay, I'm not going to work with you. Like, yeah. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We need the like, we need the old school boys clubs, otherwise there'd be nothing to yeah. motivate us to keep working <laughs> yeah true so what would you say to other young women who want to start something but might have a lot of barriers in the way um i would say that today and in this generation the barriers of entry are as low as they've ever been so even if you feel like um even if you feel like there'll be barriers along the way you know, your initial step of creating an Instagram for your, for your idea or your initial step of asking a friend what they think, you know, those, those that, that first step is as easy as it will ever be because of technology and because of the world's ability now to exist in quite close networks. Um, I'll, you know, an example is when I was starting out, um, when I was initially starting out All Is For All, I watched this video about a guy who um, was guessing people's email addresses and he guessed this guy's email address and as a result got to like fly on a pli- private plane to like a music event because oh, wow. he was a music producer dude. Yeah. And so I was like, oh. I wonder if I can. Uh, if I, I can guess someone's email address. I was, I was like, I wonder if I can guess email addresses. So what I did was I guessed um, Whitney Wolfhard's email address. And so if you know who Whitney Wolfhard is, she is the founder of Bumble and kind of a really fantastic example of a successful female entrepreneur, especially because she um, was one of the co-founders of Tinder was treated badly over there and then transitioned to create her own app um, that really stands for equity and kind of positive treatment of other other people. So she's a really massive role model for me. I guessed her email and she replied um, and kind of had a really good discussion with Bumble and with her um, with regard to them being encouraging about what we were doing and really like, you know, rooting for us and helping us along. And so, you know, the initial step to feel like you're encouraged is actually only two seconds away if you just like are innovative enough and <laughs> are a little bit cheeky maybe. <laughs> yeah. So if everyone wants her yeah. email address, oh, you got you, it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not hers. Maybe all find a different person. Otherwise, she'll know. She'll be like, oh, that cheeky <laughs> person. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, that's what I would say. I would say your initial step is easy. All the other steps are really hard, but once you do one, it's kind of like a flow and effect to all the others. Awesome. So, uh, in what way do you consider yourself a leader? Ooh, I don't know, man. I think. Um, I think what you do, like leading by example, like you actually, you know, you see a problem and then transferring it to a solution. I think that's. I think for me, it's less about like. Um, I suppose it's less about theoretical leadership and like um, you know you can see images all day long of people that are leaders but like 
that practical application is really important to me. So instead of being like, oh, I can go and um, do X, for me it's about, okay, I'm going to go talk to this person today. How do I translate that into action uh, and, or into like my next step for this, what we're trying to do? So for me, I think maybe I'm a leader through like practical application and and commitment to action over intention. So, you know, you can have intentions all day long to make the world equal, and everybody likes the idea of equity. Um, but the concept of true equity kind of changes person to person based on what we what our experiences are. Um, but for me, it's about you know, okay, well, I want equity in the sense of accessibility. So. Maybe I'm a leader in the sense that I can break it down into little steps and based on what I'm passionate about and then maybe influence people in that way. Yeah, it's great. Do you have um, do you have any quotes that you live by? Ooh. <laughs> um, well, probably that one, like action over intention. I don't know if you know um, Casey Neistat is this amazing... Uh, vlogger and blogger and internet person and he um, has it tattooed it's like just in handwriting action over intention I think that's super cool um, otherwise I I um, I like this Angela Merkel quote and Angela Mer I think she's like the German um, she's like the president yeah, of Germany like, yeah. yeah yeah and she prime what, minister prime she's minister, prime minister yeah. sorry I do know something it's <laughs> <laughs> not all things um, and that was something along the lines of like a man can wear the same suit every day for a week but I try and wear the same blazer two times in, the, in a week and then it, all of a sudden it's news or something along those lines mm. and the reason why I like that quote is I think it kind of it speaks to the power of fashion and then it also maybe kind of emphasises that there's still a lot of work to do. And so for me, like, the, the conversation around gender equity, I like the idea of approaching that through accessibility because if you can make the world accessible for everybody, that actually is a world where gender is equal as well, you know, like, because an accessible world is one that everybody can enter. Yeah. And so, yeah, I like that. Everyone can experience or get the same experience. Exactly, yeah. yeah. How do you think we can empower more women to make their dreams come through and actually take action on the changes they want to see when it comes to equality and those kind of questions? I think, so how can we do it, did you say? Yeah. Um, oh, there's so many. I think... Um, the thing about social media is it's such a positive thing and then in other ways it, it is so... Negative. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, like I have some of the girls that we work with, there's this young girl called Sophia Mathis who is on Instagram and she um, has attracted a great authentic following because she shares kind of real true images about her life, um, her life from a wheelchair and then also just her life as a, as a beautiful young woman who's, you know, chasing goals and, and doing great things. Um, so I think social media and, and kind of helping people to diversify their feeds is a really initial first step that needs to occur. 
because you know we live in an age of like Facetune where everybody can adapt their images and do all that bullshit. But at the same time, there are so many great people out there that are showing really awesome images and a really great view on the world. So I think it's important that we get more young women to be influenced by those influences than influenced by the negative kind of influences, people selling like Fake, tea yeah. and crap like that. Because um, everybody uses social media. So like if we can get people to kind of divert their course a little bit with using that and direct it to more and more positive influences, that would be really cool. I think also too, like, um, you know, making sure that... Um, the books that we have for young children are really positive because when I was growing up, there wasn't one book about people with a disability. Uh, that's all changing. Like um, Peppa Pig has introduced a character in a wheelchair, which is awesome. <laughs> and there's a book um, by Shane Brokaw called Not So Different. That's a, a children's picture book about him being in a wheelchair and what that means. So I think it's about making sure that now more than ever there is access to content, whether it be tangible or digital, that is about diverse stories. So um, making sure those books are in libraries and, and giving them, you know, and even by female authors and, you know, female directors, all that kind of thing. Um, and I think it's all about, like, the South messaging. Like, when I grew up, um, my parents were awesome and they're like part of, they're like the main reason why I have the outlook that I do but when I was growing up when I was younger they might have grieved for the fact that I wasn't able-bodied and they might have done that for a little while as is normal but there wasn't one time in my life where I felt like my disability was an issue because they never had that dialogue and they never had that attitude and that's what I was watching so for younger people whose parents might be listening to this or whatever it's about that dialogue that you have with yourself and that dialogue that you have about your child because if your child has a difference and you make it clear that that's a problem even though sometimes it might be frustrating that's totally fine but like be frustrated behind a door or something yeah um yeah you know that dialogue that you have is really important because it influences what your child's outlook will be yeah i guess it also leads back to that quote that you said earlier but you can't see yeah exactly. oh you can't be what you can't see you know if your parents is talking about exactly. like how bad they are or like how they don't like yeah, your and it, body, do, it doesn't even have to kid? be yeah. yeah it doesn't even have to be about disability you know you might be talking about how much you hate that your hair's going gray yeah. and then that might influence your child to be like oh i really want to dye my hair now yeah you know, like, exactly so yeah you need to be careful with those kind of things what yeah. you say and i think a lot of people do that you know sometimes it doesn't even have to be like a parent child relationship it can be like any relationship sometimes you might say things and you're like oh that might have actually been damaging to the way that that person thinks about themselves and I should probably rectify. Yeah, I heard, you know, how boys always get told that they're cool or they look cool and girls always get told that they are pretty or, you know, dressed nicely and that actually affects the, the child when they grow up quite yes. a lot. So the girls go around and think they need to look pretty all the time and mm -hmm. the boys go around and think they need to be cool all the time. Yeah, which and is not the, the truth, coolness you know? results in like arrogance. and Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah like I saw, it's funny you say that, I, I was at the bus stop this morning and there was a, a young boy and a young girl and they were high school students because they were both in uniforms and they were like 
like um, messing about or like standing next to each other. And they, I think they were together or something. And the guy like put his hand in her face and like pushed and like pushed her away in like a oh, place wow. in like a playful way. And she kind of dismissed it and laughed. But then I looked at that same thing, being like, if someone did that to me, I would be. Um, like why did you do that? I would be like I would I would be like why did you do that but like I wonder if that young woman kind of doesn't look that way on that action because nobody's told her that that's wrong mm-hmm. or, yeah. do you know what I mean so yeah. if we don't tell young people that they should expect more for themselves yeah. uh, they will grow up thinking that they don't which is why it's really important that we use words like ambition and words, you know, like career success. And that's not to say that your whole life is about a career. Nobody's life is unless they want it to be that way. But, but um, you know, it's that Reese Witherspoon said, you know, ambition appears like a dirty word when it's, when it's um, equated to a female. And that really does need to change. So I feel like the more that we use it and the more that we normalise it and kind of show people through just our actions that, you know, they can expect more for themselves. Yeah, yeah, totally, I agree. So how would you define success? Hmm, I was having this discussion with somebody the other day because my success is always going to look different to an able-bodied person's. You know, like... um. I might go IPO on my company and I might do really well and I might sell it or someone else might acquire it and I might might make money or employ people, but I'm always going to need help to tie my shoelaces. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, and I'm always going to need someone to like help me cook pancakes because the thing's too high up. So it, it's like my success is always going to look different. So I would define success as not one point because um, it's, yeah, like I, um, when I think about success, I always rem- remember I, when I was starting out, used to transcribe interviews and I transcribed this one interview um, for Britomart magazine, which is now sadly closed. But it was an architect and he was talking about um, New Zealanders' attitude towards success. And he was saying that a lot of New Zealanders have the house and the boat attitude, as in like when they have a big house and a boat or a nice car, they feel like they're successful and then they just give up or not give up, but then they're just content to like stop. But like for him, success is movement forwards, whatever that looks like. So you might, you know, you might measure your success in material goods or you might measure your success in the difference you make to people. And I like to think that I do the latter, even though I want to Tesla. But, um, but so for me, I would define success as um, movement forwards and that movement will look different person to person. What's your hope for the future? What would you like to see in the future? I would like to see. <laughs> I would like to see. Um, I would like to see disabled people who want to be employed and can be employed supported equally as able-bodied people to be employed. And so that might not mean that um, you know they're employed in mainstream jobs for everybody, but it will mean that they're offered employment to the same, you know, that the employment rate is even. I would like to help make that happen because I think work speaks to belonging. Um, and then also I would like to see um, a fashion industry that um, speaks to all consumers um, 
and values them and I would like to see our models kind of lead the charge in that way and so we'll support them to do that. Um, and then from a personal level I'd like to see um, some really robust law around accessibility in this country and making sure that people actually legally are required to give access to people with disabilities to infrastructure because there's currently not kind of really robust enforced law around that and a lot of people who aren't me <laughs> like um a friend of mine and kelly costello has done a lot of work around accessibility legislation um so those things that's what i'd like to see yeah. great so my last question will be, if there's a lot of people that are listening to this and feel like, oh, I really want to do something um, to support dis um, people with disabilities, mm -hmm. where can this can they start? Like, what can they do tomorrow? Uh, tomorrow you can go and follow All Is For All on Instagram, and then that will direct you to a lot of other people that are really great that you should follow. But I think also tomorrow it's about... Um, I would say if you work in an office, here's an idea. I would say if you work in an office or you work in a workplace and you're listening to this and you're like, oh my goodness, I've learned about accessibility. Tomorrow, go and look at your workplace and think about if I was in a wheelchair, how would I get in here? And what would my workday look like? And then look at the staff and think, oh, maybe they all look the same and how could I change that if they do? And you know, because my workplace will benefit from diversity. That's what I would say. Great. Well, thank you so much. It's been great talking to you and you've been sharing a lot of good insights and reflections and, yeah, experience. So I'm really grateful for having you here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Girl Power Pod. My name is Suzanne Axelsen. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe and please give it a five-star rating. You can also follow Girl Power Pod on Instagram. It would really mean a lot to me to hear your thoughts on today's episode. So please email girlpowerpod at gmail.com. I would love to get your feedback and I respond to every email. In the next episode, we meet up with Fredrika Ek from Sweden, who biked around the world in thousand days. She talks about the challenges she set herself up to and all the memories she got along the way. Her story is definitely one of a kind, so make sure to not miss out.